Hello, welcome to the Capital Employed Podcast. Joining me in conversation for this episode was Michael Fritzel, also known as Fritz, from Asian Century Stocks. Fritz provides a brief overview of Asian Century Stocks and what countries and businesses he likes to focus on. He then walks us through his thesis for investing in two companies which he is bullish on, one listed in Thailand and the other in Singapore. I really enjoy listening to him and I think you will too. Before we jump into this episode, do make sure to add your email to the Capital Employed email list. We will be publishing some exclusive interviews that will only be available to those on the list. To receive these bonus episodes, please visit capitalemployed.fm forward slash exclusive and add your email to the list. Also, if you are listening to this podcast on the Apple Podcast app, it would be really appreciated if you could leave a review as it helps us spread the word and the feedback is great too. Okay, on with today's episode. Please enjoy my conversation with Fritz. Hi Fritz, thanks for coming on to the podcast. Thank you so much. Can you explain briefly what is your background and how did you end up investing in Asia? Okay, so um, I run a website called AsianCenturyStocks.com. I've been on the buy side for, for about 10 years, working for a family office, um, emerging market funds, and also a hedge fund. Over those t- t- 10 years, I've been mostly in, in Singapore, where I've been living for seven, eight years. And before that, uh, in, in China, where I was working uh, as an analyst for an emerging market fund based in, in Shanghai for about three or four years. So I've been covering the region uh, for quite some time mostly as a generalist analyst, uh, and um, been traveling a lot throughout the region, mostly in, in China and, and Hong Kong, but, but also in, in Southeast Asian countries such as uh, Indonesia and, and Thailand. Prior to, to Asia, I've been here for 12 years now, I worked as an investment banking analyst in the UK, in London. So, so that's my background. Uh, and I should also mention that I am I'm Swedish uh, originally, but yeah, I, I left Sweden uh, 2006, so it's been uh, 15 years roughly. And can you tell us a bit more about Asian Century Stocks? Sure. Um, so Asian Century Stocks is a, is a sub-stack that I, um, I launched uh, just recently. Uh, it's focused on, on finding Asian value ideas. So our, our target group is mostly investment professionals. Uh, we, we keep the research uh, pretty, pretty uh, sophisticated, I think, uh, pretty, pretty serious. We release roughly 20 ideas per year across all sorts of sectors, but all of them have this value bent, uh, looking for quality, but uh, at a recent decent price. Uh, so we pay a lot of attention to, to valuations and also catalysts. So, so that's what, what I hope to achieve with the, with the website, which is also built on the Substack platform. Other than ideas, we, we also provide um, industry reports uh, occasionally as well as also other types of articles that are that more emphasize certain catalysts that uh, that could lead to to trades we we charge uh, roughly well, we charge $30 per month uh, which we think is pretty attractive uh, you get a discount for if you subscribe to more than 12 months uh, and that should be if you can find at least a few good ideas per year that should pay back the 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 cost pretty easily also the target markets so far has been East Asia and Southeast Asia, that would be countries like uh, Japan, Hong Kong, China, uh, Korea, Taiwan, and, and also Southeast Asian countries such as Singapore, Malaysia, uh, Thailand, Indonesia. So those are the target markets so far. 
Uh, and if you go to the website, you will find uh, our previous ideas. They're under the About page, and you get a sense of pretty much the, the types of stocks that we, that we like. And, and how do you generate your investment ideas? Where, where do you find these companies? Uh, most of the companies are, are, are um, those that I've met in the past, been covering the region for a long time. So I know pretty much which stocks are listed in, in each of these countries, uh, at least you know, among the larger mid-caps and large-caps. But right now, specifically looking for, for Catalyst, and it's been quite helpful to, to invest during COVID because as long as you are positive about the resolution of the, the, of the pandemic, uh, you can be positive, at least about cyclicals. So a lot of ideas, many of them have something to do with COVID-19. And if the pandemic one day disappears, they'll do very well. So, so that's one way of sourcing ideas. We also look at insider buying uh, as well as um, buybacks uh, as a way to generate ideas. Uh, and sometimes we can also find ideas from the portfolios of other very intelligent investors. Okay. And, and do you mainly focus on uh, larger cap companies or do you really go down into the smaller companies as well? Uh, it, it all depends. Uh, in fact, some of the companies uh, recently that, that uh, I've covered are actually pretty small. Uh, market cap, 200 million to, to a billion. Although it's, it's a good mix. It's also, we also had uh, stocks with market caps of, of 20, 30, 40 billion as well. So it all depends. Uh, of course, it's easier to find good ideas uh, if they're smaller, but it's, it's all, you know, I have to weigh the, the liquidity factor as well. So, so it's, a, it's a good mix. And do you find that Asia offers much better value compared to other uh, locations around the world? I think certainly... Generally speaking, yes, there is uh, a lot of opportunities throughout the region, and there is not as much competition as in the United States. That you know, that I'm sure of. So stocks are generally quite inexpensive, with a few exceptions. So Southeast Asia, uh, especially Thailand, is a place where with tons of ideas at the moment because tourism is, is still weak. Korea, on the other hand, or Taiwan, and to some extent, Asia's China Asia's. Those markets are a little bit more difficult to to find ideas in. Yeah, so if we can jump into your uh, portfolio, can you talk us through uh, two stocks that you're quite bullish on at the moment? So one stock that I would like to highlight um, is is a Thai stock, um, Thai company called Major Cineplex, and and the stock price is is pretty much the same level at which I recommended it initially uh, about six months ago. It, it is a really well-run company. And, and the CEO, uh, who I met a number of years ago, he's just brilliant, fantastic entrepreneur. Uh, he's a first-generation entrepreneur. He started the company in the 1990s, and he's built it up to what it is today. Major Cineplex, they have about uh, 70% market share in Thailand, in, in the cinema industry. They have 820 screens under management, roughly. And the... The, um, I mean, the performance of the company has been generally very, very strong with ROEs well above 20%. The, the case there is that the, the company doesn't have a lot of debt. It's, it has a pretty strong balance sheet. Uh, it's been hit by the pandemic, but uh, for sure they will survive and they will, do, they, will, they will prosper following the pandemic. So the only question is how much will the stock, you know, how fast will the, will the company recover? I think the, the, the Thai cinema industry is, has growth potential. It, there's an underlying growth profile of the industry. 
there's a perception that Netflix is is taking over uh, or, or taking market share from from cinemas. And that could, to some extent, be true, but uh, it's also a really underpenetrated market. the The number of screens per capita is about one fourth that in the in Korea, compared to the U.S., is probably roughly like one seventh of the number of screens per capita. I, I think the the growth rate in screens should be somewhere about five to ten percent per year, on a pretty steady basis, together with also higher ticket prices of a few percent per year. You should be able to see a growth profile of about ten percent per year, and the the current valuation is it's not it's not too much uh, in in terms of the um, Ford multiple, somewhere in the around. 10, 11, 12 times P, depending on what you, what you think is going to happen to, to earnings. But that's assuming a recovery, of course. Historically, the stock is trading at closer to 20 times earnings. So there is a decent upside if, if you do get uh, a recovery from, from the pandemic. Everything has to do about vaccination, the pace of vaccinations, uh, and also recovery of, I guess, the economy itself. Tourism is, is, was one part of it. So, so that's pretty much the, the case. I, I always get a pushback on this case saying that everyone will just watch movies on, on Netflix in the future. I, I don't really think that people go to the cinema just to see the movie. Uh, that's part of it, but that's not the, whole, the only reason why you go to cinema. It's also a dating option. You, you go there to, to have a night out with, with a friend or with your partner. I don't think it will ever take over completely. I mean, I don't think OCT services will take over. And another thing is this theatrical release window. It's been about 90 days historically. That's been narrowing and may, it may continue to narrow. But at the same time, I think studios, they really like to distribute movies by cinemas because it highlights the movie to the customer, whereas movies can just get lost in these uh, services. Many of these uh, straight to Netflix or straight to OTT releases haven't been all that successful. So I do think studios, they, they still want to distribute their, their movies to cinemas, and I think customers still want to go. Uh, I can move on to another case um, that I've featured recently. The company is called Delphi. It's a um, Singapore-listed company, but the major market is in Indonesia. They produce uh, chocolate products, and they've been dominating the Indonesian market for about six decades now. Their brand names are extremely uh, well-known throughout the country having almost you know, a 50% market share. So, so that's pretty impressive. Uh, yet the stock price is, or the market cap is, is below 400 million US dollars, almost micro cap territory, uh, which is surprising because Indonesia is a, is a, made, is a big country, 280 million people. Uh, and it, it's also a very attractive country in terms of the uh, penetration rates of chocolate. They're about one-fourth that of Japan and only one-fifteenth that of United States. So there is underlying growth potential in penetration, uh, as well as also uh, population growth, where the average age is 30 in, in, in Indonesia, uh, and growing very nicely uh, in terms of the overall population. So if you get GDP growth, population growth, as well as uh, an S-curve effect from, from high consumption of chocolate, that could lead to something very uh, positive for, for the company. The stock trades about 0.7, 0.8 times sales. Uh, the margins have been burdened a little bit by heavy investments in, in new factories. The um, utilization rates are, are 
but 55% at the moment for their Indonesia and Philippines factory. There is margin operating leverage uh, in the business, but we, we shall see. And, and another asset that I think uh, is not generally recognized is the fact that they have connection to about 400,000 points of sale in, in Indonesia. And that's a unique asset that MNCs should love to have. So it, it's a definitely um, M&A target. We, we, we know that the management team has, they are not interested in selling the company, but they have also said that the, the, the price is too low for, for those incoming bids. So it's just a matter of waiting until that time comes. The, the current management team uh, is, is old. They're, it's run by three brothers. They're now in their 70s. Uh, so we, we'll see. There is at least one son who's also involved in the business, but not in a major uh, management position. So, so that's pretty much the, the case. Also, I should mention that the corporate governance seems okay. Uh, it is a family-run company, but uh, no major parent list co issues. Re- related party transactions are, are quite limited. And also, they have a net cash position. There is a pension liability and also a contingent liability from, from a lawsuit in Brazil. But uh, those are not major. And I think um, you should see the company as being net cash in, in net cash position. So that makes it pretty attractive. The, um, the reason why the stock is down is because they report in US dollars. And, and since 2014, the rupee has, has dropped quite a bit, about 30-40% uh, against the US dollar, which makes it seem as if the company is not growing. But that is not, that is not the case. Also, they've reduced the number of SKUs of about 30 to 40% uh, because they're basically rationalizing the uh, product portfolio. But some of their brand names, such as Silver Queen and Ceres, are doing very well. So uh, I, I see the stock as uh, having growth potential. You know, the, the, there is competition, but with this type of very strong market share and, and no debt in a very attractive market for chocolate, I think it's, it's a very, very strong case at this point. Uh, thanks for sharing those two uh, companies. Uh, where can the audience go to find out more about you? Well, I guess uh, if you're uh, interested in finding more, out more information about Asian Century Stocks, you just go to the website uh, asiancenturystocks.com. Go to the About page. You can see all the previous ideas. And if you're interested in subscribing, you can, you can just try uh, press subscribe and, and try it out for, for, uh, for a month and see what you think. You can also find me on, on Twitter, where my handle is Fritz844, uh, at F-R-I-T-Z 844. So that's where you can find me. Thanks for coming on to the podcast, Fritz. It's been nice to listen to you with um, your insights into Asia. Thank you so much, Sean.